kind of did ourselves a great disservice as a culture when we decided that we were going to divorce um, being personal from being professional, right? So to me, a facet of being human-centered is acknowledging that we are full humans everywhere we go, uh, and that me having a personal life in a professional setting doesn't mean that I'm not professional. Hey everyone, and welcome to C-Network, the podcast. It's the podcast where we highlight diversity, equity, and inclusion professionals and the work they're doing to help their fellow employees feel seen at work. I'm Natalia Eileen, and together with my team, I help businesses build more diverse, more equitable, and more inclusive workplaces. Today, I have a great conversation to share with you. It's one that I had with Amanda Delheimer, the artistic director at Second Story. Amanda's superpower is storytelling, and the work that she does through Second Story helps organizations use storytelling in such a powerful way that it can help build community, connection, inclusion, and belonging. So we were really excited to hear from her and to have her on the podcast because we know that storytelling is a tool that many of us diversity, equity, and inclusion practitioners use regularly. And through this podcast episode, we talk about some of the techniques and some of the suggested practices around storytelling that can really enhance all the work that you're doing on that dimension. So without further ado, let's dig into the conversation. Okay, we're here today with Amanda Delheimer, Artistic Director of Second Story, and we are so excited to have her on. Amanda, how are you? I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me here. Of course. No, no. We are always excited. Um, and I know you have a particularly interesting uh, background and emphasis on storytelling. So I can't wait to get into it. Before we do, can you give us a little bit of a background into you and um, how you got to where you are? Yeah, sure. Thank you. And I am uh, thrilled that you think that what we do is interesting. So this will be very exciting. Um, so yeah, so my name is Amanda Delheimer. I am the artistic director of uh, an organization called Second Story in Chicago. Um, I'm actually coming up on 15 years in that role. Uh, and my background is through theater. So I came into all of my work thinking about equity, diversity, inclusion, and justice through that lens of theater and art making. Uh, and when I look back on my history, um, it's something that I, I think I had kind of in the back of my mind, um, even as I was, you know, in my uh, like adolescence, um, but it really has come kind of front of mind in the last 15 years or so. Uh, and I would say that the kind of primary thrust of the way that I think about equity, diversity, inclusion, uh, and justice is really through uh, a lens of story uh, and a lens of being really human-centered. Um, so mm -hmm. thinking about the idea that that stories are the thing. Like I generally, genuinely believe that stories are the thing that connect us to each other. It's the thing mm -hmm. that can help us build our muscles of compassion and empathy. Uh, and that the work of Second Story is specifically building spaces where people can share and listen to each other's personal stories. Um, so that's how I come to this particular work. Thank you for that. And I appreciate that that is such a big part of how you approach all of this work. This human-centered, this story-centered approach. Um, for those who maybe are really passionate about bringing about a more diverse, inclusive, equitable, just workplace, what have you, but who haven't really heard that framing around human-centered, um, do you mind giving us just a little bit of context around what that means to you? Yeah, I've never been asked that before. Um, 
Yeah, so to me, human-centered means that we are thinking about people as full humans all of the time. So it means that, you know, we kind of did ourselves a great disservice as a culture when we decided that we were going to divorce um, being personal from being professional, right? So to me, a facet of being human-centered is acknowledging that we are full humans everywhere we go, uh, and that me having a personal life in a professional setting doesn't mean that I'm not professional. Um, I think it also means thinking about the full scope of each individual human um, as they are walking through the world. So my experience as a human is totally different than your experience as a human. There are, you know, 7 billion or almost 8 billion now different human perspectives walking around the world. And so making sure that uh, we are thinking about the kind of unique constellation of each person's needs in any moment, because uh, somebody who is, you know, a single mother is going to have a different experience than somebody who has a disability than somebody who, um, you know, comes from a, a kind of historically um, marginalized group. So there's all sorts of different things that come into that kind of constellation of how somebody is experiencing the world and therefore what they need. Um, so really thinking about that full constellation of what it means to be a person to me feels like it's at the heart of being human centered. Thank you for digging into that. I know. Yeah. When it, when you live it as, as it seems you do, it could be maybe a little difficult to think through what it actually means. So I, I hope people appreciate that um, additional context. And it's so connected to your passion for storytelling and how much storytelling is involved in the work that you do. Um, and so thinking through how people out there can potentially use storytelling as a tool for building more inclusive, more equitable, more just, more um, um, workplaces that really bring about more of a sense of belonging. I would love to hear from you. How have you seen storytelling play a role in that? Just give us a primer. A primer? Um, okay, so I would say that there are maybe three things that come to mind immediately. The first is that idea that um, stories connect us to each other, right? So we can use stories as a way to build community. Uh, and that is, you know, a lot of the backbone of the work that we do at Second Story uh, and through Culture Builders or for Hire program. Um, but is that idea of like, how do we use the activity, the kind of, which we have done for millennia, right? Sitting around fires, telling each other stories. So how do we use that as a way to build community, to increase um, what feels like reasonable risks or reasonable vulnerability in a professional setting. Um, I know we've done a lot of facilitation where we come in to do essentially like, you know, team building stuff uh, and come out and folks are saying, oh, I've worked with this person for 10 years, 20 years, and I never knew that about them. Uh, and so how we can use stories as a way to surface um, information that's important for us to, to care for each other, uh, and also that idea of how it just it bonds us to each other. So that's a big one, I think, is community building. Another one I would say is that I think stories can be an incredible tool for entering into conversations. And so, so much of what I have experienced in the kind of equity, diversity, inclusion, justice field uh, is the kind of um, cookie cutter PowerPoint presentation, right? Where it's the same thing that's presented over and over again. Uh, and it is very um, information-based, very statistics-based. And that 
um, is important, it's incredibly important for us to know, um, for us to be pushing against. Uh, and also it's not very sticky usually um, and can also be, you know, honestly kind of dry and boring. Uh, and for folks to really take on the complicated, messy, challenging job of really trying to um, infuse their entire work with the values of equity, diversity, inclusion, and justice, uh, you have to really be bought in, like your heart has to be in it. Uh, and so I think stories can really create that kind of um, like, oh gosh, I'd never thought about that before. I'm suddenly, like, I'm suddenly invested in this. Uh, it's that old quote, I'm going to, I think it was Lenin that said it, I don't remember, but the, um, a million lives is a statistic and one life is a story. I totally just slaughtered that. I'm going to go find it and I'll, we'll, we'll put it in the comments or something like that. But the, um, that idea, like one story can really get us invested uh, in the thing. Yeah. Well, I think all of that, you know, makes a ton of sense. Um, and probably there are some, um, people who are thinking about ways of bringing about more diversity, uh, equity, inclusion, belonging initiatives into their workplace and who recognize that storytelling could be a great way for them to do more of that. I, I wonder then, do you have any examples of potential um, just ways of bringing that into a typical experience within a workplace? I mean, we don't just like break out in story every day, right? So, uh, <laughs> I mean, maybe we do, I don't know. <laughs> so do you mind sharing a little bit of, of how that can be brought about if someone were trying to do that? Sure, yeah. yeah. So I think like many things, um, storytelling is a practice, right? So it's something that the more you do it, the easier it becomes, the more you do it, the less weird it is. Um, some things that we do at Second Story are um, we do check-ins at the top of um, almost all of our meetings. If the meetings are really large, we might not do them, but it's a chance to go around. We hear names and pronouns, um, even with folks that we worked with for years, because sometimes people's pronouns change. Uh, and we ask either you know a word or two, how are you doing right now? Or in our smaller meetings, like, hey, what's going on for you right now? What do you need us to know? And that's a way to use storytelling so that somebody can come in and say, oh, you know, um, like my cat is really old and has seizures, for example. And so I can come in and say, hey, you know, I'm Amanda, I use she, her pronouns. And just, you know, my cat had a seizure this morning. So I'm just feeling kind of distracted. Uh, and that's a little kind of micro story, um, but it is a way to kind of infuse both the permission to bring the personal into the professional, which is so important. And also that idea of like, what's going on, the stories that are happening in your life are important. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a really simple way um, is to kind of build that sort of check in into yeah. spaces that we're working in. I like that a lot. Um, and you know, it makes me think of what we talked about this a little bit off camera, but we talked about how um, there is a, a need to recognize that human beings or people are people, whether they're in their personal lives or in their workspaces. So I think what you just described was an example of recognizing that upfront. Yeah, absolutely. And it can even be things like, um, like we do, story does a whole bunch of workshops around like how to answer questions with a story, right? And so things like, hey, how was your weekend? 
uh, we tend to answer with a, you know, oh, it was fine, right? Or it was good or, um, but that is an opportunity for storytelling. Uh, and so the idea of, sometimes it's about the question, right? Because the question, how was your weekend? invites a, a convergent answer, right? It invites a one word um, or very short answer as opposed to, you know, what was something that you did this weekend that was really fun? Um, so even thinking about how we ask questions to each other in the workplace can be an invitation for storytelling. I think that's such a powerful example, particularly for, um, you know, people who are named leaders within an organization as they're thinking about how to ensure that people recognize that their input and their um, their stories, their personhood has a place in the workplace. It's like even just flipping up or sharing a question in a way that's more open and less closed or of the answers can be really powerful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that example. Um, do you have any others or, I mean, I know, or, you know, you gave us two, which is great. Yeah. I mean, there's so many ways, right? If it's like in, in the workplace, it can be, um, like little, it, it feels sometimes like it's hard to, um, carve out a huge amount of time or like Sunday, we suddenly we need to find 90 minutes for this thing. But the idea of like, Hey, I'd love for you to turn to the person next to you. Or if you're in zoom, right, I'm going to put you into breakout rooms and just give you a few minutes. Um, to talk about whatever the question is. Um, so that kind of community building stuff can be really great. Um, you had also asked about, you know, stories for kind of really pointing towards that, the work of equity, diversity, inclusion, and justice. Um, one of the things that's amazing about the world that we live in right now is there are so many stories that are open to us. And whether it's through things like a podcast, like Second Story has a podcast, there's, or The Moth has a podcast, there's all sorts of podcasts um, or videos, that kind of thing. But being able to use the shared experience of a group watching or listening to a story together and then having a conversation about it. Um, and it can be as simple as, you know, what's living in you after hearing that, or, you know, what do you, what do you relate to? What do you have questions about? What do you have curiosities about? Um, and of course there's, there's challenges there, right. Too, because the idea of, you know, safety, right? Do people feel safe um, sharing their thoughts? Do people feel as safe sharing about how this story really made them feel um, or the questions that they have? Um, is there safety in the group at large, right? Or is there um, an assumption that the, you know, folks of color or the women or the disabled folks in the room are going to be doing the labor of breaking something down? Uh, and so making sure that as we're thinking about bringing stories into these kinds of conversations that we're also really thinking about how we can take care of the humans, right? Back to the human-centered thing. How do we take care of the people who are actually involved in the conversation? What are our group agreements? Um, is the safe, is the space, can we create a brave space, right? As opposed to a safe space, we might not necessarily be able to guarantee safety. Um, mm -hmm. how, how do we care for the people in the conversation? Yeah, I appreciate you digging into the challenges because that's something I always like to spend some time in because, you know, if people are thinking, okay, I want to try to use this as a tool for um, really, really bringing about a deeper sense of, of connection between me and my coworkers or what have you, um, they need to be aware of some of the challenges that they might encounter. And you're sharing a couple, even in, in your small snippet there, there are quite a few that 
we should look out for. One of them is making sure that the space is set up for these stories to be told. And another one you mentioned, which I, I think is helpful for others to hear again, and actually, if you want to dig in even deep, more deeply, the other one you mentioned was about ensuring that certain people are not always telling their stories and meant to maybe rehash some of the, the pain and trauma that comes along with that. Can you actually dig more deeply into that as a potential challenge? Yeah, so um, <laughs> it's, it's a it's a double-edged sword, right? Personal telling of stories. Uh, and so, yeah, the challenge there is the idea, as you can imagine, we're all sitting in a circle. We want to have a conversation about racism. Um, and we're like, oh, we'd love to have this conversation about racism. Um, hello, would you please tell us your story of a time that you experienced a microaggression or you experienced racism in this workplace? Um, and that both puts people on the spot, right? Which nobody likes that and independent, completely independent of who they are. But it also forces that person to do a whole bunch of labor that just isn't really their job. Uh, and it also is um, something that happens all of the time, right? So this idea that, um, the, that somehow the person of color in the room, the woman in the room, um, the parent in the room um, has to be the voice for this experience when there is not a singular way to be a person of color or a woman or a parent, right? It's different for everybody. Uh, and that idea of um, the, a lot of times the work that needs to be done is the folks who are outside of that marginalized identity, right? And it isn't necessarily the work of that person to educate me, right? So trying to figure out how can I do some of my own work uh, and not be asking folks around me to do the labor of the storytelling for me. I think that's a big one. And I appreciate you digging into that. I don't know that on this podcast, we've had the opportunity to really talk about that um, and within the context of storytelling, it makes a lot of sense that we would dig into it. Do you have any other challenges that people typically run into uh, that are worth surfacing almost in a, in a similar way? Yeah, I mean, I think that idea of like, what is the space that we're in, right? Is there trust in the space that we are in? Um, is there psychological safety in the space? And so that has to do with this idea of um, like I might be having something really terrible, like back to my cat who's having seizures, right? Like I might be having this thing going on in my life. And, but because of the, of the work environment that I'm in, I don't feel safe surfacing that because I worry that I'm going to be punished or somebody is going to take work away from me, or I'm going to be judged or whatever it happens to be. And so part of the um, kind of context that needs to be put in place is this idea of, um, is this space built for that kind of reasonable risk? Uh, and especially as we're thinking about it as leaders, um, there's if it is possible that the space isn't built that way, right? And in some ways, the society that we're in is not constructed for that, right? The society that we're in is constructed for people go to work, they do their work, um, they have like, they are automatons, like we came out of the industrial revolution, right? So we're not supposed to have feelings or children or disabilities or this kind of stuff. Um, and so making sure that we are, if we are asking folks to do that kind of work in the workplace, that we have created a culture that can hold that. 
Uh, and if not, then we need to scaffold into it, right? And there are a whole bunch of things that can happen in terms of that scaffolding. Some of it might be about altering company culture, or some of it might be about, um, you know, really working from the very beginning. So trying to ask, um, ask for stories in situations that feel very low risk, right? So start to practice that muscle. Um, but yeah, it can be a very um, dangerous thing if you well, I, I think that's a very important point. Some cultures aren't ready for that. Um, and so thinking about, I'm sure Second Story has a lot of experience cultivating a space in which those stories can be told. Do you mind if whatever you're willing to share, sharing some examples of what can be done to start building that culture? I don't know if you have uh, an example from a recent experience. I know you were mentioning some work that you've done with a high school, for example. I don't know if that's an applicable example, uh, but it would be really helpful to hear how you can create that culture if you sense that it's not ready. Yeah, thank you for that question. Um, so um, what, I think one of the things that is very exciting about, one of the things I get excited about about our work is that um, like art, does so much for us you know the a lot of times i think when we think about what dei work can look like art isn't the thing that comes to mind right so really expanding our thinking about the utility and the the work that different um different things that we have in our lives the work that that can do uh, and so when we're thinking about an environment um, that might not have a culture that feels very safe or where people feel like they can't be brave um, or they are trying to be brave, but it's too risky for them. Um, a lot of it is about like rolling it all the way back, right? So um, we're working right now with a high school um, in, the, in the Chicago public schools on the Southwest side. Uh, and one of the ways that we rolled back there is to really focus the beginning of our work just on belonging. Um, and what does it feel like when we belong? Where are spaces within the school where we do feel like we belong? Where are spaces where we don't feel like we belong? Um, and being able to name and surface some of those things and then figure out like, okay, so how do we translate this thing that's going well over here into the space where it's not working so well? Um, or how do we celebrate the bravery that it takes for somebody to name, hey, this actually feels really bad to me. Um, so trying to really go back to where wherever the beginning is for each of the, well, in our case, the clients that we're working with, right? But also the situation. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that when you think about, you asked me about things that are replicable. Um, one of the things that I would offer there is this idea that um, I think it is, it is dangerous to think about uh, work and diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice as something that is um, kind of copycatable, right, or replicable, um, because we all have, every individual has different needs, every community has different needs. And so there has to be a little bit of kind of customization for whatever the need is that is articulated here. So really trying to figure out what is the actual thing I'm trying to to work on or address or get underneath or behind or around? And then what is it? what is the tool that will do that for me? And maybe it's a story, maybe it's a different kind of intervention, uh, but really trying to think about this specific situation. That's one thing that I would offer there. Yeah, and it sounds like by starting in a place where people inherently maybe felt a little safer and then expanding that 
right? From what's going well here, what makes you feel good to, okay, let's get to this other place where maybe we're able to talk about what isn't feeling so good. Um, I think even just that arc, as simple as it is, can be useful. Yeah, and another thing I would say is that idea of like, we bring in stories from the outside. So with this school, we are trying to get into concepts of uh, belonging, of, um, of like amends making, right? So like, if I do make a mistake, how do I, what is the difference between my intent and my impact? And how do I make amends around something? I didn't intend that, right? But the impact is different. How do I address that? And so also one of the things that we're doing, which I think is another thing that could be carried out as a replicable um, action mm -hmm. is using a story that is outside of their community, right? So the whole community can look at this piece that is not, it is not an example of something that has happened at this school. Mm -hmm. It's something that happened somewhere else and we can all look at it together. Mm -hmm. um, and so that also addresses the thing we talked about earlier in terms of that safety or the tokenism that can happen sometimes. Mm -hmm. where we're like, oh, Barbara, tell us your story. Um, as opposed to Barbara being able to be a part of the group looking at this, at this other piece that is outside from all of us. Right, I like that a lot. I think there's a lot of power in reading those stories or hearing those stories from other people that you don't know, both because you can see yourself in pieces of those stories, no matter how different uh, yeah. that person might be from you, but also because it can give you maybe a little bit more insight into the complexity of identity. If maybe you had some preconceived assumptions about someone based off of an identity that they have, it can go a long way to creating that extra layer of, of recognition. What did yeah. you say? Yeah. Absolutely. And that's why we we spend so much time with, well, all of our time with personal stories, right? So this person in front of me, this is their experience. They are telling me a first person story that they experienced themselves. And those are really hard to argue with, right? Like I can't say, oh no, that didn't happen to you that way. Um, and I, so there's also a, a removal of argument to a certain degree um, that is, uh, provided by the group all listening or reading a first person story. Yeah. Well, I'm sure there's a lot of inspiration happening now as people are hearing this and thinking about how to bring storytelling effectively and respectfully into their workplaces. So I'd love to end with uh, a little bit of advice maybe that you would have as people start to create these opportunities to share stories. We might be touching a little bit on how to avoid the challenges, but do you have any any new advice that might be illuminating that we haven't talked about yet? Um, yeah, so I'm thinking about some of the, like it doesn't happen overnight sort of stuff, right? It's all a very, um, like building relationships is something that takes time. Uh, and we all know this from our lives, right? Whether it's building friendships or a partnership, um, but the idea of a human-centered, story-based approach to equity, diversity, inclusion, and justice is going to take time, right? But that investment also means that it will last for longer, right? So um, that the kind of more care we can put into something, um, hopefully the deeper its roots and therefore the longer it flourishes. Um, and I would also offer that a lot of the work that we do is based in theatrical practice. It's based in psychological principles. Um, and so the being able to build on the things that are 
really a part of our kind of holistic experience as humans. Um, so the fact that we are telling stories to each other, the fact that we are we all have identities that are built through our life experiences. Uh, and so trying to figure out what are the what are the threads that really unite all of the things that I'm trying to do in this moment uh, and trying to really build a a process or a intervention or um, an initiative through that kind of um, pluralistic lens, uh, as opposed to the idea of really trying to go in to solve this one thing, right? Because usually that thing has a whole bunch of um, potential roots, potential repercussions, things that are informing it. So how do I have a really holistic humanistic view as I'm thinking about the work that I'm doing in diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice. Yeah, bringing it full circle for us to the beginning of our podcast, uh, talking about that human-centered approach. Thank you so much, Amanda. <laughs> that worked out well. Um, thank you so much for, for your time and for sharing the, uh, that perspective around storytelling. I think it would be really useful for everyone. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Natalia. It's been a real pleasure to speak with you today.